right, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. Aww. You guys are too kind. You're too kind. Good to be back. Some of you might not know me. It's going to blow away. Uh, my name is Drew. I've been a part of this church for a really long time. Um, and my family, my wife and I, and our kiddos are now living in California where I'm going to seminary. So it's been almost two years since I've been back to be here with you guys. So it feels like, it feels like two years. It's been a really long time. But it's really good to see you guys. Really good to be home, see family. So many of you guys really love this place and love what this church has come to mean for my family. The bad news is, is that my family was supposed to be here today. And I was going to show off those kids because I've got the two cutest kids in the world. <laughs> that is a fact. And they were going to be here today, but my wife got a little bit sick, a lot bit sick last night. So they're not able to make it today, unfortunately. But I do have pictures on my phone. So as you're on your way out, you know, I will be making sure. You don't have to say hi to me. Just look at my kids. That's all I care about. Now, so it's good to be here with you guys today. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for this time that we have together today to just put aside the rest of the things going on in our lives and just to kind of humble ourselves and, and open ourselves to you. Lord, we ask that you would speak. We ask that you would meet us where we are at. We pray that you would give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> now, unfortunately, I'm a little bit under the weather myself, so I may cough a few times today and startle you. So if you're falling asleep, I'm going to time my cough just right. Now, I, I want to share a little bit this morning about some things that God has been taking me through because over the last two years that I've been, that I've been away from you all here, uh, the Lord's just kind of had me on, on a journey um, of discovering some things that, that I was a little bit blind to before. Um, and, and it's been a journey that I, that I say is a journey of love. I'm learning and discovering what it means to, to sit in God's love, and I'm learning what it means to grow in my love for Him. I would say that for much of my life, I've been really focused in on doing more and accomplishing more, and achieving more for God. I've been really goal-oriented. I've wanted to see God do great things through my life, had kind of always had an eye on my future ministry. What's it gonna look like? Where am I gonna go? How's God gonna use me? But I found myself, you know, as a fairly young man, at that place that Paul describes, where he talks about you could give up your life, you can sell everything that you have, you can give everything, but if you don't have love, it's kind of pointless, it's kind of useless, it doesn't really do you any good. It's kind of where I found myself in my life was I had a lot of dreams and aspirations and goals for what I wanted to do in ministry, but when it came to my love for the Lord and my enjoyment of his love for me, there just seemed to be a bit of a disconnect there. And so these last couple of years, I've had just the, the absolute privilege of being able to step aside, put plans and dreams aside for a little bit and just to sit and to grow in my knowledge of his love, which has been a, a huge, huge blessing now, I understand that every single person here is at a different place in their life, a different place in their journey with the Lord. And so I'm going to share a little bit about what God has been teaching me over this little bit, sharing some of the ways that he's kind of been leading me along this journey of love. And I, re I recognize that, that may not necessarily communicate to everyone here. I might be talking to you like, well, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't hit me where I'm at. And that's okay. But I do hope that as I share a little bit of what God is doing in my life, that it does minister to you. Um, yeah, and that we can all grow in our knowledge of the Lord's love together. Because I think that we all know that loving God is kind of the whole point of why we're here. Like Jesus says, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
when he describes what the Christian life is supposed to look like in John 15, he boils it down to abiding in his love. Love seems to kind of be the central element from which everything else flows out. So we all know that loving God and understanding his love for us is is an important part, maybe the most important part of what we do here as a church. But I think that sometimes it can be difficult to know how do we grow in our love for the Lord? Because I can figure out how to get better at stuff. Like I can be better at preaching and I, and I can work harder and be better at managing my sin or I can be better at a lot of different things that I would try, but how do I grow in love? Love is one of those things that it's just can be a little bit difficult to know what, what can I practically do to love the Lord more? And, and there's a number of things I know, but, but I wanna look at, at one specific way in which the Lord has been showing me that I can grow in my love for him. Um, It's been a way that's really been impactful for me, but it's also been something that's been very surprising. I did not expect to learn to love God in this way. So to get into it, let's start out by looking at the book of Luke, chapter 7. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn there. We do have words on the screen, but I did not know how small those words would be. They are very tiny. So if you can read them, kudos, but they are a little small. So feel free to pull out your Bibles. We're in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. I'm going to take a drink of water while you get there. (coughs) Excellent. All right, let's read it. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answered him, saying to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. So we have this this really interesting, awkward scene where Jesus is at a dinner party with some people who are really well put together. And all of a sudden, in comes this woman, a known sinner, and she's just a mess. She's pouring ointment on his feet. She's crying everywhere. She's rubbing her hair on his feet. And everyone is so uncomfortable. But this scene leads to a point where Jesus says this statement. He says that the one who has been forgiven much is gonna love much. But the one who's been forgiven little is going to love little. And so for me, as I'm on this journey of trying to discover what does it mean to love God, what does it look like to grow in my love for God, this verse jumps out 
of the Bible to me is, is, is a really important place to kind of stop and think for a second. The one who has been forgiven much is going to love much. The one who's been forgiven little is going to love little. Now, before we go on, I just want to say that, that these are the Pharisees that he's talking to here. And I don't think that what Jesus is saying is that this woman, because of all of her sins, man, she's got so much sin. And these Pharisees, they don't have very much sin. She has to be forgiven of a lot. They don't have to be forgiven very much. I don't think that's what he's saying. Because as we know with the Pharisees, these aren't good dudes. These aren't guys who really love God. These are the ones that are gonna kill Jesus. These are the ones that he saves his harshest words for. These are the ones who are full of all kinds of pride and selfishness and greed. These guys have a lot of sin. So I don't think he's saying this woman has so much sin that must be forgiven and you don't have that much. I think what he's saying is that this woman knows she's a sinner. She knows that she has a lot of sin in her life. Everywhere she goes, people know this is a, a woman of sin. So she knows how much she needs to be forgiven. But these Pharisees, they don't know. They don't know how much they need to be forgiven. They feel like they're doing really good. They feel like they are better than everyone else, that they have got it figured out. So yeah, maybe they need to be forgiven a little bit, but for the most part, they're pretty good. So the distinction that Jesus is making isn't between people who have a lot of sin versus people who don't have a lot of sin. The distinction is between the one who knows how much sin they have that must be forgiven, they're gonna love more. And the ones who don't, they're gonna love less. And so this may seem a little bit counterintuitive, but I, I think that it's important for us to realize that it is a good thing for us to know all that God must forgive in our lives. It is a good thing for us to know the depth and the level of our own sinfulness. Now there's a bit of a tension there because we don't wanna walk around all the time being like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just a poor old sinner. I'm just the worst. I'm just a horrible person. Like that's not what the Christian life is supposed to look like. But at the same time, we see here that this woman who is lavishing her love out on Jesus, that's who we want to be like. If we're looking at the story, that's the person that we're supposed to identify with and say, that's who we want to be. We want to be the one that's passionately in love with Jesus. And Jesus is telling us the key to this is that she realizes the depths of her sin, realizes how much she needs his forgiveness. So I'm going to say that I think it's of high value for us to, to recognize and to realize how much we need his forgiveness. Because I'll say, <coughs> for a lot of us, that can be hard. There might be some of you here who maybe became a Christian recently, or maybe you've had a, a rougher season of your life here in the last few years, or maybe you're struggling with some addiction in your life, and, and to think of all that God must forgive you of is not very difficult. Those things come to the forefront of your mind really quickly, and you can kind of just bask in that. But for a lot of us, for some of us, it's not that easy. So I got saved when I was five years old. I didn't have a rough past. You know, I didn't have a history in drugs. I didn't go to prison before I was five. Like, I didn't have that. You know, for a lot of us, even if you got saved later on in life, maybe you've been here for 20, 30 years, you've had a lot of time to kind of put your life together, to kind of figure things out, to kind of start to figure out how to manage your sin. And you're not leaking out all over the place. You're, you're kind of a well-put-together person. So for a lot of us who are church people, who come to, to church every Sunday, it can be kind of hard to remember the depths of our sinfulness because we've spent a lot of time trying to look better than that, trying to be better than that. But I believe that it's really, really important for us to understand all that still must be forgiven because if you and I are walking around believing, eh, I don't really need to be forgiven that much, 
we're a lot more similar to the Pharisees than we are to this person that loves Jesus. If we're walking around saying, I don't need God's forgiveness that much, that's a lie. It's just a lie that's keeping us from falling deeper in love with Jesus. And my belief is that God is not gonna, he's not gonna let that go. He wants for you and I to know what's in our hearts. He wants for us to know the depths of some of our brokenness. Not so that he can shame us in it, not so that he can point to it and say, man, you're so messed up. What's wrong with you? I don't like you when you do that. But rather so that he might bring it up so that he can love us in those places. So that he can pour his grace and his forgiveness on those places. And I believe that God is doing this in a lot of ways in our lives. I believe God is actively working in our hearts to bring up those things, the brokenness, the sin in our lives, to show it to us. But I think that oftentimes, as he's doing that, we don't want to see it. The, con the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes and, and we don't like what we see. We don't like what he's showing us. And so we tend to push it away, push God away. So what I want to talk about the rest of our morning together is, is one of the ways I think that God is actively, daily trying to bring these things that are in our hearts out for us to see. But I also want to talk about how we, on a regular basis, are pushing that away. And what, and what I think it comes down to is God's word. See, God's word, I believe, is that one place, that one thing he's going to use consistently to reveal what's in our hearts. And the reason I think that is because of a passage in Hebrews chapter 4. So again, if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says this. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's kind of intense. The author of Hebrews here is saying is that when we read God's word, when God's word is preached to us, it's like God's word is like a sword that is piercing into the very furthest depths of who we are, cutting us open and revealing the thoughts, the intentions of our heart that we don't even know are there. And that it's leaving us naked and exposed in front of the judge, God himself. Now that doesn't sound like an overly positive experience. That sounds pretty uncomfortable uh, and actually pretty shameful when I think of it. If, if I just think of what this picture looks like, you've got the judge in the courtroom and you've got me standing there naked and exposed, everything just laid out there. That's a shameful, shameful picture that I come to in my mind here. But yet this is what the author of Hebrews is saying is God's intent in his word. When we come to read his word, when God's word is preached, his intent is that it would cut us, pierce us, reveal what's inside and leave us naked and exposed before the judge. And that's tough because being naked and exposed is a shameful thing and it makes us wanna hide. I don't know if you guys are like me. If you're not, don't judge me. I'm just a normal person. But I used to have these dreams in high school where I'd be, you know, walking down the hallway at high school, you know, saying hi to everybody and I'd look down and all of a sudden I realized, Oh man, I'm naked. I forgot my clothes. Ah, and all of a sudden, I'm just, I'm, I'm just filled with shame. And like, all, nobody noticed before this, but as soon as I noticed, now everybody knows. And so they're all looking at me and I'm just like looking, is there a door I can duck into? Where can I run? Where can I hide to cover myself up? Because that idea of being naked and exposed is shameful to us. 
And so when God uses his word to cut us open, to leave us naked and exposed, it causes us to feel shame. And we want to do that. We want to run and hide, just like Adam and Eve did when they were naked and exposed and the judge was coming. See, Adam and Eve did the exact same thing that all of us do. Their sin was known. They see themselves in their nakedness and they, they ran, they hid, and they covered up. And I believe that we all do the exact same thing. When God uses his word and through the, the conviction of the spirit shows us things in our lives, shows us some of our brokenness, shows us some of the sin that's there, rather than sitting with those things and seeing them, our, our natural tendency is to, is to hide, is to run away, is to cover up. And I think that we do that in a few different ways. One of the ways that I think that we tend to hide is we, when we are convicted from God's word is we, we make excuses. You know, we, we say things like, yeah, 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 I got angry when that guy cut me off, but I don't have an anger problem. That guy has a cutting me off problem, right? Like that's not, that's not me, that's them. So I'm not really the person who's responsible there. Or whatever else, we, we make excuses, we deny things. Or, or one of the things that I used to often do was I would just disconnect my heart and my head I'd be reading God's word. It would be convicting to me. And instead of sitting with that uncomfortable, shameful feeling, what I would do is I'd just start going into, oh, what does this mean theologically? How does this tie into this? And I'd start trying to figure out the mysteries of scripture rather than sitting with what it was doing to my heart. I think this is a common thing that all of us tend to do is when God's word begins to convict us, we kind of start to push it away. Yeah, no, no, that's not really me. No, 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 that's not true. I would be different if it weren't for this person or that, whatever. We come up with reasons and we push away the things that God is trying to show us. The other thing that we do is we cover up. When God's word reveals our nakedness, reveals what's really going on in our hearts, we tend to want to cover that. And one of the ways that we do that, I think, is through application. Whether that comes in a sermon or whether it comes in a Bible study, we love, as the American church, we absolutely love application. We are all about application. Just get me to the part of the sermon where you tell me what to do, right? But I think that one of the reasons that we like application so much is because it gives us a way to tell God, hey, I got this. I can figure it out. I'm gonna do it on my own. Like if I just, you know, if your pastor says like, here are a couple things you can do this week so that you can be better at, at dealing with your anger or here's some things you can do this week to help you better act better with worry or here's some things you can do for this and this and this if we could just have a game plan to give to God we might be able to say here I'm working on it stop bothering me stop stop pointing at this stuff stop, stop making me see this stuff because I'm working on it I've got a game plan here it is this is what I'm going to do this week I'm going to be better I don't have to think about it anymore I don't have to feel that shame here's what I'm going to do I mean I've done this almost every Sunday for my entire life as I hear the sermon and I feel the conviction about giving, which is a big one, or gossip or any of the things that convict me, the whole time I'm just thinking, okay, what can I do? What can I do this week? What can I do this week to make it a little better? What game plan can I give to God about how I'm not gonna be this way anymore? And for many of us, as we do this, the point, the intent is simply to push God away, to say, no, 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 stop looking at that. Stop showing me that. Stop pointing there. I know, I know, I know. Because we believe, or at least I know that I have, we believe that the reason that God is showing us those things, the reason that he's cutting us, the reason that he's leaving us naked and exposed is because he wants to shame us. Because he wants us to feel guilty and bad so that we'll do better. But that's not the God that we, that's not the God that we serve. That's not his intent at all. 
So we want to hide from him because we think that he's there to shame us. But guys, this is not true at all. There's a very good reason for why God wants us to be naked and exposed. And that reason is, is because we have already been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. See, we're not gonna put on that clothing. We're not gonna recognize our need for the righteousness of Christ in our own lives if we're not ever left naked and exposed. If he doesn't show us those things in our lives that are broken, that are messy, we're never gonna run to him and call out for his grace. We're never gonna bask in the weight of his forgiveness. We're never gonna see the extent of his love until we first see the extent of our own brokenness. So it is a great grace that God gives us when he brings conviction. It is a great grace that he gives us when he allows us to see our own messiness. Because his intent in that is not to shame us, but is to love us in those places. To bring those things up so that he might love us more fully, more deeply. See, we serve an amazing God who did an amazing thing for us. We have a lot that maybe we could feel shameful for. We have a lot that maybe we could try to hide, whatever. When Jesus died for us on the cross, <coughs> he took all of our shame. He took all of our guilt. He took every single thing that could stand between us and God, that could ever cause us to feel shame before God. He took it all onto himself. And in exchange, he gave us his own righteousness his own goodness, and it's ours so that when we stand before God, we never have to feel ashamed. Even as we're naked and exposed, we can wrap ourselves up, clothe ourselves in the righteousness of Christ. Yes, I might be a broken person, but I'm a broken person who is clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And I'm fully loved right here, wherever I am, wherever you are in your brokenness, in your messiness, you are fully loved right there. God doesn't love you any less because you've got problems. God loves you right where you are. This is, this is a cool thing. The next part of this verse, I think, is, is really interesting. It, it, it's not what we would expect because the author of Hebrews here has painted a picture for us of this person naked and exposed before the judge. But now this is the exact same scene. It's gonna flow into this. It says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we see here he says, that the word of God is gonna pierce us, leave us naked and exposed before the judge, therefore draw near to the judge. Therefore, draw near to the throne. See, that seems a little bit counterintuitive because when we hear naked and exposed before the judge, we think, run, hide, cover. This is shameful. And yet the author of Hebrews is saying, because of what Christ has done, because he's gone before us, because he's our high priest, because he's our sacrifice, because we're clothed in his righteousness, you are naked and exposed. Therefore, draw near Run to the throne of grace. So I think many of us, we know that we could be better. We know that there's stuff in our lives. And we just think, man, if I just had a little more time, if I could just work on this a little bit more, I'll get there. I'll get there. And I'll just kind of hide away from God until I do, until I can present myself just a little bit better than I am. 
still think that we recognize that God wants you right where you are. He's not wishing for a better version of you. He loves you in the place that you are right now and he's inviting you, welcoming you to come to him as you are. It's his job to heal you. It's his job to change you. It's his job to transform you. It's our job to draw near. If we hide, if we run, if we use our sin as an excuse to push him away because we don't like to be seen, then we're depriving ourselves of the one thing that we need to grow, to change, be better. And that's, that's him. That's nearness with him. So we are healed in his presence. And so let's draw near into that presence because when we draw near, what we find is a God who loves us, who's full of grace and mercy towards us. And there's nothing in your life now or in your past or in your future that will ever change that. So as we close today, my, my encouragement to you is the same that it is to me is, is let's just continue to press into the love of God knowing that no matter how much we might feel the weight of our sin, Jesus has taken that for us. He's taken it and in exchange, he's given us his own life and we are free to just draw near and enjoy the love of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your love. We don't understand your love. It's too much for us to comprehend this side of heaven and yet as we sit with it in our brokenness, as we sit with it, as it covers all of our sin, Lord, we're just, we're blown away by how much you have loved us, by how greatly you have loved us. Lord, we ask that you would take us into just a deeper experience, a deeper knowledge of your love. We pray that you'd use us as vessels of your love in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just want to have a time of invitation this morning. I'm going to ask all of us to stand. I wonder what would happen today if we would all picture ourselves like that woman just lavishing on Jesus. As Drew said, I've had the privilege of hearing it three times now. I want to encourage it. I don't usually do this, but I encourage it. If, if you were going to put it out on Facebook and shoot out the message, I want to challenge everybody to sit and listen to it in the privacy of your home and just think about what an amazing truth this is. And I hope that you can really receive that God loves you right where you are. You know, next month you're going to have some other issues, but he's going to love you there. And to really draw near to God when you realize all the mess in our life is such an incredible gift. And so I want us to take a moment today. We have a few minutes. And I just want you just to come to God exactly as you are. He knows all of your deep thoughts. He knows all the garbage. And yet he wants us to draw near to him today and just love on him. Maybe you're here today and you just need someone to pray with you or pray for you. We would love to do that. Perhaps you're visiting and this is where God is leading you to get plugged in and become a member. We invite you to come. Maybe for the first time in your life, today's the day that you just need to open your heart and receive that unconditional love. Maybe you need to go to somebody that's here today. I just want you just to spend a moment. I'm going to ask some of you guys, get some guys to come up and just get around Drew, and I just want you to pray for him. So let's just spend a few moments as David plays softly. I just want you to love on God. I just want you to feel him reach down and just love on you exactly where you are in the process.
and know that he loves you unconditionally. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for knowing all that's going on in our life and still desiring us to draw near to you. And I pray we wouldn't live one day just doing the best we can, but Father, we would just come before you and just enjoy that love. I pray that every person here would experience what that, quote, sinful woman experienced in your love. May that be true of us. Father, just spill out everywhere we go. I pray that the Holy Spirit, that river of living water, would just minister life to those who are hurting all around us. Fill us, empower us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.